On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have an actual real-life bookmaker. We have John Sheeran from FanDuel. Rufus and I grill him. Actually, Rufus and I argue like um, a married couple, but um, we let John talk a little bit, a, a little bit, not a ton. And then we talk a little NFL week one and actually shockingly give some minus EV picks as always. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus and I are joined by a guest. Um, he's a musical guest. He is Irish, right? John Ed Sheeran. Um, are you Irish? I am Irish. Are all, are all Sheerans Irish? Uh, I don't think so. Ed, Ed Sheeran is actually English, I believe, although he has, I think, Irish parents or grandparents. One of the two. No relation. No relation. There's probably a fair no. amount of Sheerans in the greater uh, UK slash, what is the whole area called? You can call it GB and I, I guess. Mm, got That's it. what they That's... call it in golf betting. It is. Okay. Yeah. Pretty relevant, right, Rufus? That's, That's all is. that matters. Uh, so, John, tell us, you are a the a director of trading at FanDuel, uh, came over from Patty Power back in the day. Um, what do you think of Kip Levin? Okay, well, we don't talk about that. Right now. <laughs> I, I love you know, Kip. Everybody yeah. loves Kip. Kip's a hell of a nice guy. Yeah, he's, he's uh, what, what's his title these days? He's uh, the CEO for Foxbet these days and TVG, actually. So did you have a background in bookmaking before you came over to the U.S.? I assume so. Yeah, pretty much most of my professional career is involved on uh, this side of the counter. I actually began on the track uh, with, with a friend of mine who's a professional better and a bookmaker uh, who Rufus actually met once upon a time. Uh, so I started with him and uh, kind of learned the ropes on the track with him and progressed into uh, the bookmaker side on the dark side uh, of uh, European operator. Oh, so you were a professional better betting horses? Horses and greyhounds, yeah. Uh, my background is predominantly in odds making for Flutter or for Paddy Power on actually mm -hmm. US horse racing. That's uh, what I spent most of the time in the UK doing uh, and then progressed over here into all the US sports that I had. P pretty deep uh you know, interest and knowledge in around particularly the NBA and the NFL. The other sports definitely required a lot more learning from my perspective because we're just not exposed to them in the same way. So what are your early, um, what are your early um, reactions or insights about the, the U.S. market coming from Europe? What are the top three things that have surprised you about the market? Uh, the size, for sure. I mean, we always knew it was a big opportunity uh, under the Flutter umbrella. Obviously, why we bought a controlling stake in, in FanDuel when we did, uh, four or five months before Passport was repealed. And, you know, I think the sheer scale of it, I, I think we all remember we took, I think, about $2.5 million in our first weekend uh, on NFL in New Jersey. And I remember going, like, I just can't believe the size of this business. And 
obviously Wait, two and a half million dollars you said yeah and New that Jersey. was a lot it was a lot to us Rufus shits two and a half million dollars <laughs> out of his ass every night it was a lot we were online for i think four days at that stage we went live on the first of september 2018 and obviously those numbers pale to insignificance at this stage given the scale of the business and you know our footprint now in the u.s as well got it uh, so that's the first one i don't know that i'll get to three um I think sharper betters. Um, it didn't. It never really surprised me around player props, given the DFS landscape. Uh, I think the volume of them, for sure. You know, we we see a lot of sharp money, uh, predominantly in the anonymous environments in in retail uh, and a little bit online as well. Um, obviously, we've more control over that from our side, um, but that's probably the top two. I would say, Jeff. How what do you think? Go ahead, Rufus. I was going to say, how do those differences inform your approach? Do you think you can take, I mean, do you think that Flutter has learned from, I mean, are they treating the U.S. market as a different, in a different way than the European market? Um, I think to describe it as Flutter is probably the wrong way to describe it, Rufus. I think what I would say to you is, in FanDuel, particularly since I've been here, very quickly it became obvious that the European approach to bookmaking wasn't going to be optimal. Um, Hold on, we need to. I'm going to stop you. We need to like quote that somewhere and like have that. You know, I need to put that on my Twitter page. No, before before we do that, <laughs> anyway. we need you to define what the European approach is for us. Yeah, look, look I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I I think sometimes. Um, the amount of restrictions and I suffered this myself. So you won't hear me crying about it. Um, it does irk me a little bit. The Twitter sphere um, annoyance of getting restricted. And you know, I've heard Jeff, you and Rufus debate this multiple times around, you know, the, um, the idea that it's a business at the end of the day. It's like car counting, as you referred to previously, casinos are not just going to let you run rife. But I do think that, to be fair, I definitely can see that sometimes we took a lazy approach in Europe to um, assessing customers on a deep enough level and giving them the opportunity to, to be fair to them. I think that's for sure fair. Um, and I think that was our approach. Definitely my approach when we came here initially was, you know, that isn't the right approach for the U.S. business. We were trying to build a brand and you know, trying to build a business. And we definitely were far more lenient, um, particularly early on. Um, I think we're still probably the most lenient in the marketplace. Um, I don't think that we've um, solved it by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think we're, we try to be very, very fair as, or as fair as we can be. Um, maybe not as fair as we can be, but we definitely try to be as fair uh, to, to as many people as we can, I guess is the point. What, what allowed you in Europe to have that quote-unquote lazy approach? Um, the maturity of the business was probably one reason. Um, Paddy Power have a huge market share and Betfair as well. And when we launched the sports book back in um, the day, um, I think we had, you know, a lot of, I don't know, Jeff, really is the answer. I, I think, you know, the scale, the sheer volume, um, far more volatile sports than the U.S., um, sports like horse racing, for example, where, you know, there's a lot of unknown information and therefore a lot of discrepancy in price. It's not unusual for a horse to be 20 to 1 an hour before a race and go off at 
three to one. And if people have that information in the marketplace that you don't have as an, as an odds compiler, um, it's very easy for them to beat the market. And I think people who bet in isolation on those selections um, were restricted heavily and quickly. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, that was probably right for the business. We could restrict them heavily, get that information. They couldn't really go anywhere else. Um, and um, yeah, and we got that information and used it in the market. So I think it was a little bit of a lazy approach to risk risk management is how I would summarize it. And, and why is it not, why aren't you able to do that in the US? Is it because you're fighting for market share right now or? We're able, we're able to, to do it. Um, I think our approach to it was slightly different. This business was really only a startup when we launched, like I said, um, you know, we were, I think, second to launch online in New Jersey. Um, but we wanted to build a brand that was known for accepting wagers and uh, being fair to everybody. I think we've done an okay job at that. Like I said, I, I don't think that we've solved and I think we'll get better at it over time, particularly as, you know, the business growth and, and roadmap eases a little bit and allows us to, to concentrate on, you know, things like automated traders and risk acceptance, where we're able to consume information in an automated fashion and move our lines quicker than we can currently, just because of other priorities of the business and the industry more widespread. Can I ask, um, shifting gears just a little bit, what differentiates, what, what would you say differentiates FanDuel from DraftKings, from BetMGM, sort of the, the other companies, I mean, FanDuel is the market leader right now, but the other companies sort of jockeying for that position. Yeah. Is there any, anything philosophically that you think, yeah. Different? Yeah, I think we invest an awful lot more from the outside looking in uh, from the other two. I have, you know, friends of mine working in some of those brands and, you know, for conversations I have with them, the size of our risk and trading department or capabilities and resources when it comes to odds making are significantly bigger than those other operators. And that's because we prioritize it. And we believe that, you know, if the onus is on us to set the market, I don't want to set a line on a WNBA all-star game that's 60 points off because some person in an office in Las Vegas, you know, didn't consider the way that the market, and that's not me, you know, throwing mud on somebody else because we've all made mistakes like that. Um, but we just believe Sorry, can you explain I, that can you explain that one to our listeners i i know what you're referring to but um the wnba game is is an interesting the all-star game is an interesting study right yeah and i think it's a good example of how a lot of operators take the easy or the lazy way out around setting lines where you know there's three or four bookmakers that are respected as having a good who opinion. are those uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah, I let Ruth, I let Rufus, I, I would say they're probably the top three. I've definitely got a lot of respect which, for the guys. Which three, sorry, Rufus? Circa, Chris, Pinnacle. I would say those three. That's just, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think definitely that's. Definitely not Bovada or yes, Bovada. What about sportsbetting.com? Okay, sorry. Oh, or some random skin.com? My bookie. No, <laughs> yeah. What about Joey Knish paperhead? <laughs> <laughs> so there, there for all you guys that had the under on the Joey Knish reference, uh, you win. Um, so okay, so so you're saying some sports books just uh, don't originate; they lazily copy these other sports books. Yeah, I think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, you look at the 
board and once something moves a lot of operators will move i mean we have a feed for certain sports where we will follow that move as well um but we fundamentally believe that we should um the onus is on us to set our own lines and i think that's probably one of the main f- philosophical differences between us and, and some of the other brands answer rufus's question directly so if you if if let's say we're talking about a big market and you are in line with the market, but take a big wager from someone respected, are you going to move off that market number? Uh, if it's someone we respect, then yes, we will absolutely consider that. We'll compare it to where our, our numbers sit on the game or on the event, particularly those big markets that you describe. And uh, yeah, I mean, depending on where we sit versus the market and what that information we get from that bet, then yeah, we, absolutely could potentially move or we may stay where we are if we've got a strong opinion and we feel like you know we have a solid reason to stay where we are despite that number both of those practices I think if you follow the NFL and NBA in particular you'll see by just looking at our lines. So how does that process work who's making those decisions like can you kind of give us a peek behind the curtain there is it like you know one guy I guess right now it's what 11 p.m on a Wednesday I don't like is it one guy are you um is there software that sort of set, you know, I mean, I know it's not completely automated, but yeah, just peek behind the curtain would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally on a Wednesday evening, uh, Eastern time, we have uh, a pretty in-depth run through, particularly for NFL season, all of our lines for the upcoming week. And we have all of our own ratings that are discussed and we basically sit down on the numbers where we think the market should be. Uh, and, um, we set our lines based on that, obviously, you know, consider any sharp bets that we've seen from accounts that we respect. Um, And then we align ourselves against the market and where we feel like we have a strong opinion or where we want to have an opinion, we'll um, take that stand. And then if one of those bets comes in that you describe, then we absolutely will have a a, a debate probably between two or three of the traders, um, the more senior ones, and then have a debate about where we stand, how strong our opinion was, how confident we are in that opinion uh, and obviously the customer's record of beating the numbers and uh, consider all those things and make a decision whether we want to stay where we are and attract more money because we're usually off market in those spots uh, or, or move with the information that we get from that bet. Is that done within like a process of like 30 seconds to a minute or I mean? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally our teams are set up in two ways, a risk and trading department um, separated in exactly that way trading team that's mainly um, built of uh, odds makers, um, guys that have their own ratings, um, guys that have a lot of experience betting and trading NFL, and then a risk department to assess the wagers in real time as they come in. So when Rufus Peabody has a bet, um, that will be alerted to the traders by the risk team. And they'll say, we've had you know Rufus on and he's taken uh, the over here, we're at 49 and a half and we'll move it to 49 because we want more money on that side. Is it so? Is that, so is that a hypothetical or are we really? <laughs> no, that's that's an absolute reality, Jeff. Yeah, it'll be like, I mean, it'll be like, I mean, I'm in Virginia where there is a fan duel and, and I was betting some golf stuff and it's like everything's capped it to win $2,000. So it's like Rufus just bet $43 on this golfer to win. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think the, the some of the bet amounts that you'll see, and like I said, I've been a 
you know, a victim of this myself in the past where it's happened to me. And yeah, it's very easy for people to get screenshots of maximum bets at $13 and the optics of it, particularly to the Twitter sphere and the industry don't look great, but I think there's also a lack of understanding about. Okay. Expl- you know, the, explain to me how it's that a tech happens. Thing, right. It's a part of it's a tech thing. I mean, I know what's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I personally I, know what Circa's thing is with their software. You can't, they have yes or yes, no's for outrights for golf because they're, they can only limit their software only allows them to limit like a, to like a risk amount for an outright market. And if you have some thousand to ones, you know, you can't say like, Oh, I'm going to put a thousand dollars. We're not, we're not talking about that right now. We're we're actually talking talking about about like, what's that? I I was giving an example of, of how how it can be a tech issue essentially. Again, that's not what we're talking about though. Right? Like the screenshots that I see, are not like outrights that would pay off a thousand where they're capped at a thousand, right? They are like no, but no, but they're, it's they, a, are, it's a factor. they are. It's a stake yeah, factor. exactly. They're they're, 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 driv- they're driven by the same um, functionality as the outrights that Rufus describes. The process is at core fundamentally the same. You have uh, an amount that is what we call our late to lose on every single market that we have. And that's fundamentally based on multiple factors, but the primary one would be our confidence in the price. So for example, an NFL money line or total will be a really, really high number. And even if your stake factor to 0.5, which means we believe that the stake level or the tolerance we have for exposure for you is half what a normal first better off the street will get. And because you've shown a propensity to be able to beat those lines or pick us off on markets where we just don't have the same level of confidence. And fundamentally, what you see is the same thing. It's just at a deeper level. So a player prop on a Tuesday before okay, so, Thursday, so, 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 Thursday let's, night let's, game might be $1,000. And let, the money so line in the NFL might be 20 times that. So I don't think anyone's posting screenshots of thin markets where the payoffs... Well, maybe some people are, but that's not the outrageous thing the outrageous thing is when you see this in very liquid markets like a straight nfl uh, total or uh, I, I, I i think you see both jeff and, and let's be fair that's I, fine I, like I, and i understand i, 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 I agree with you so how does the how we, does we the should, other one happen how, do, we, how does we, the one at a liquid time, market limit happen like what is i walk in off the street right or or rufus right like right before game time what should a skilled NFL better, someone you say is skilled, what should they be able to get down on a, say, Monday night NFL game side or total with FanDuel? Yeah, I mean, on, on a Monday night for Monday night's game, I'd be disappointed if we're reducing anybody to under $3,000. I mean, I was going to, th- I thought you might say like 30000 under th- like I would, if I was a bookmaker, I'd be. No, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, Kurt, Kurt, I mean, I mean, currently, Rufus, I don't mean optimally, right? And I think like that's where I get to when I talk about. Okay, so why is that? Why, John, why is that number so low, right? $3,000 we know is a very low for an NFL total, right? Like is or NFL side for a Monday night game. That seems crazy low to me, right? Yeah, and I don't disagree that it's low. What I would say to you is what Rufus described as a process is the reason behind that. The idea that we have risk acceptors or traders sitting here deciding yes or no on every bet that goes through the system is just not true. We don't really interact with wagers at all. And one of the 
as they're being placed. I've seen some of the other operators that move lines as wagers are pending. That obviously is unforgivable in my book. And I would hope someone would raise that to me, should that ever happen. That should never happen with us. We, I, that's just immoral. How about in my, an in-play in in wager? Completely agree. Yeah, in-play wagers are, are more difficult, right? Because And it all comes back to the same thing. It all comes back to an automated approach to accept volume on mass that requires development to get it to where we even want it optimally. I mean, fundamentally, how many people out there are able to wager on a total or, or a side on an NFL game two hours before kickoff on a Monday night and actually win over the long haul. So fundamentally, every time we reduce your bet in that scenario, for the majority of those cases, we're leaving money on the table and we're not in that business, as you well know. I just think there's a lack of understanding around the development that's required. We launched in the US, and I don't want a pity party here by any stretch of the imagination, but we launched within six weeks in, in New Jersey and didn't have time to bring the systems that we developed over from Europe. Um, and they're taking time to deliver, particularly on a roadmap where we're looking to expand into other countries like Canada upcoming by the end of the year, as well as the heavy uh, volume new state rollout as well. So it's going to take us time to where we get to optimally. And I know that's no good for you right now as you look to place a bet and get restricted. I guess I just ask that people understand that it isn't necessarily always as it may appear. I mean, I, so, okay. If we I go mean, back to just the, the core of this, right. And, and I, I, you came on our show, so I don't want to be an asshole, even though it's really hard for me not to be <laughs> in my nature. I, I do think it's interesting to fall back on this concept of technology, right? Like this is not, we're not, this is not complicated, right? Well, it is complicated. I mean, at the end of the What's that? I mean, it is. I, I think it, I mean, in talking to people. Just, I've been building and involved in software for 25 years, right? There's, I mean, I have heard that it is something, I mean, having talked to people in the industry that have built this kind of thing is, I think, harder than people outside of it realize. Was it, would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I think it's harder than people realize, but I don't disagree with Jeff's overall point, Rufus, that we should be able to solve this. It's True. a priority thing, right? It's, I think it, it's I like if I if I have development resource and I have them for the next three months, and one objective is to get launched in Arizona like tomorrow for FanDuel, for example, and the other one is to make sure that restricted volume betters are able to get what we believe and what we think is fair, regardless of what my opinion is, I'm just not going to win that in a prioritization. I mean, it's uh, a product. Meeting. You're it's trying to grow. You're trying to gain market share. That's no, so, so look, I'm not, I don't really want to get you too, can't, too, if, if you're going to, if you're going to stand on your, I'm a professional better, we should be able to get a lot down, then you should stand on your John Sheeran and the FanDuel team should prioritize on their roadmap, the ability for restricted betters to get a reasonable amount down on games. This well, is like a classic, mean, listen, this is a classic software issue where you sit there and you have a product roadmap. Right. And you have like the roadmap down the line. And these features that John's talking about stay at the bottom of that roadmap all the time. They I mean, never get pushed up because that cohort isn't one that they care that much about. Like right. that's the reality. Right. Yes, and this is. goes and back makes, to this idea that you you continue to say, sense. like, this world should be a world where sports betters in the U.S. should be able to make money and get a lot down. But that's not the reality. The reality is and John seems like a great dude who works for a great company. But he's telling you literally 
those features for that cohort of customers is always going to be on the bottom below the line of what they're developing in their next sprint. I thought you were going to get mad at me for agreeing with John, but it seems like you're attacking a point that I agreed with. So, I mean, I, I understand that if I was a business, like, like you're trying, they're, they're racing for market share and that's the most important thing. And well, you know, I'm mad at you for agreeing with John because it's not consistent. Let me finish. He, they only have a finite amount of resources. And so they're deploying them in a way that is best for their business. And I understand that. Okay. And I think, I think the one thing I would, you know, hold you up on Jeff is that it's not true to say that I don't care about it or we don't care as a business. It's, it's just to, to Rufus's point, and, and I think it's one that you understand, and I, I get the reason for pushing Rufus on it, given his stance and uh, the overall stance. And I, I'm, hap I'm happy to admit when we're wrong, we don't get all of these decisions right. Um, all I ask is for a, a tiny bit of understanding. This is not a pity party. This is not me shoving roadmaps down people's map mouths well, as so an excuse. I'm just trying to explain to you from behind the curtain, as Rufus alluded to, the reasons as to why sometimes these things occur. And, and I think there's a general consensus out there that this is by design and this is the way we want it. And all I can tell you is from our perspective, that's just not the case. It's just not true. Will we get to a world where everybody gets what they want? Never. I mean, that's just the businesses you've spoke about so many times before. For wrong or right, there will always be some harsh decisions by risk managers when it comes to bet acceptance. So, okay, so I... I I get this, and I appreciate that you're only a voice in the room when you're looking at product, the product roadmap and prioritization. Curious though, like how, who ultimately has the say in that road? And I'm just curious about this, right? Because I've like, like I mean, I've I've worked in building like software web systems, so I know like you look at a roadmap and you figure out what gets prioritized. You have your customers that you are prioritizing and that's what, and this is like in any business, a SaaS business, anything, this is how you do prioritization. I'm guessing that your voice or who, who has the strongest voice in that room for the restricted betters and like, who are the other voices in the room, I guess. Yeah, I think that's and Are you sitting in those development meetings with your CTO and your chief of pro chief product officer. And you're saying like, Hey, that, that, feature needs to be prioritized and the question is do all the voices have irish accents too <laughs> definitely not <laughs> probably quite a few of us maybe more than you might imagine but no definitely not all of us um yeah i think it's a fair question i think you know who has the voice and who makes those asks i think it predominantly comes from us as a vertical in risk and trading so we are going with uh, feature developments in risk acceptance uh, as well as product development and we are prioritizing those ourselves and then presenting business cases to the, um, the P&L owners or the commercial owners of the vertical who will ultimately make the decision in conjunction with what we want to deliver. Um, as you know, Jeff, from working in a business, a lot of the time revenue is the key decision maker, the separator in these meetings. And as you say and allude to, you know, the sharp betters being able to get 50 or 100% more than what they can currently get is never going to marry up with, you know, a feature development of same game parallel, for example. So it is a, it is a grind. It is a struggle. Um, I think we have our own dedicated resources that we own that we probably um, can leverage to do some of this work. And that's probably the best path to us delivering it. I for sure want to deliver it. I, we had a discussion in here today about, you know, how we could actually do a better job of giving that particularly in the NFL, because like I said, I, I don't believe that it's optimal right now. Okay, so we, we kind of 
we can belabor this a little bit more, but I don't really think we should. It 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 is Rufus, and and this is like we can keep this in or not, but like the reason that I'm giving you crap about this is because ultimately this is what I've always said. And this is why the market in the US is never gonna get to what you okay. think it's gonna get to, but or what Jeff, you hope it Right. And can I, my, my response to that would be that, and I understand that, but I feel like if there, the more voices there are in the room advocating for something, the bigger a priority it becomes. If, if this becomes something that the public says, hey, that's not cool, like suddenly it might move up the priority list a little bit. So that's, I mean, that's a, re, that's a reason I advocate for it, of course. Obviously, I have selfish reasons too, but I also believe it's... it's but how, how, like, explain to me the scenario where this gets prioritized because the public want, so many of the public want this, right? Yeah, it, it's not going to be the public that will drive that up the priority order. It's an internal desire for us because I believe it's something that can enhance our brand's reputation. It, it's, it's somebody at the top believing that there is a, a marketing impact to that this there is a business decision that's being made and it isn't like what you're saying rufus is like some idealistic idealistic notion that will never happen oh god jeff you're simplifying what i'm saying here i mean I, i'm saying i i think these things are i, I mean I, I think they affect each other in a way i mean if there's an outcry about something, then it suddenly becomes, you know, a way to differentiate your brand. And obviously right now, like, I think FanDuel like wants to be able to differentiate itself in ways um, from its competitors. And I think- But, but see, they do, they do same game parlays. That's what they prioritized, right? First, first to do same game parlays, you hear it everywhere. Which, I mean, honestly, doing that stuff is a result, like, they have a ton of surface area that they have to defend in a way. Well, I don't you know, even it's understand hard to price. Saying. Like none of this is leading me to believe that like the restricted betters, I like that term, by the way, the restricted betters are going to have any opportunity in the near future to, you know, have a voice in the room in the product development room on the product roadmap. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair comment, Jeff. What I would say is that I don't necessarily need buy-in from other verticals to get it done. I just need to get some bandwidth from our resources to prioritize it and get it done. Like, I believe we should have already owned the idea that regardless of who you are, we will get a give you a minimum of five grand or 10 grand on any NFL game on game day, regardless of I could where fix it is. that in the code for you in like a second. It's just hard coding in max yeah. equals 5,000, right? <laughs> And like not having some strange piece of software that does some weird calculations. Th th thank you, Jeff. I would never figure that out of my old. I know. Um, I like, I have took the, a programming look, class. Of, part, you know this, but Jeff is very smart. Part of the issue is our it's not our, our not, not our platform, right? Our, yeah. But anyway. That's interesting. I mean, but that goes back to this idea that this, and, you know, we'll go talk about our friends, um, who are running, uh, what's David Owl's company called again? Deck Prism. Deck Prism, right? Like the idea of creating a better SaaS solution for sports books that isn't necessary. So you aren't beholden to antiquated software, right? That's that's the dream. And so do you, beyond Deck, like what do you think of Deck Prism, I guess, John? Or is that something that you would push your uh, uh, fan duel to move to over time? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we I can't believe that by now, we don't have our own bespoke developed platform uh, 
like the idea that we're is that Kip Levin's fault or no of course it's not Kip's fault um like even at Flutter's level before FanDuel that was something that we had discussed when we launched the Betfair Sportsbook at the very start and the merger with Paddy Power at that time put pay to that and you know it's something that has been circulated and we are talking about internally within FanDuel right now um prioritization is, is a bit of an issue and it's dead resource for a couple of years but I would say within the next three to five years, we'll be on all of our own platform that we have developed in-house. So hypothetically, you're a smart entrepreneur who's built technology systems before. Do you think it's an interesting opportunity to build a sports book, you know, SaaS solution from the ground up? Uh, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure how successful it will be with the bigger ones because with all of the the mergers that we've seen internationally with the big operators, um, we all have or should have capabilities and resource to do it ourselves. So like even with trading, like, you know, getting all of our sports in-house, having our own internal trading team for everything, developing new models, that's something we're bringing all in-house ourselves. It's just a matter of time before we get it all in. So I think the, 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 the opportunity there for somebody to decide to do that and, 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 get it on mass out there is probably going to be a challenge. You're probably more likely to look at the smaller operators who um, can't um, find the resource and time to develop it themselves. Can we um, talk some NFL games? Cause we have NFL coming up. Do it. John, are you comfortable talking about the NFL? It's um, different, like uh, oblong versus round points <laughs> on each end. We call it American football here. I thought you told me you weren't going to be an asshole. That's not really an asshole. That was just a poor joke, like at the uh, at the core, right? Like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Fine John, with the games. John watches more American football than I do. I'm a, well, definitely in person. Well, um, the only two in the only two NFL games I've been to in the last few years were both with John, actually. <laughs> Jeez. So, John, so far in the NFL, you said you have this meeting where you go over the games and you kind of like look at the ones and where you're exposed and where you want to differ than the market, what games or what sides right now are you guys feeling comfortable as being different than the market? Um, I think week one is probably obviously more difficult to be more confident in your price, given all the unknowns that we're coming into, particularly given the way that the preseason has gone over time. But I think the giants is, is the major one for us this week. I think we made that line Denver minus one, I think we're the only ones at two and a half right now. And that's probably the one major one that we just fundamentally disagree with where the market is. Oh, yeah, me too. Your friends at Chris have it at plus three right now. I make it Giants minus 1.7. That's what Massey Peabody makes it. Yeah, I think we were Denver minus one. So not as far away as you, but definitely a decent bit off where the market is. Um, what about this Dallas Tampa game? It does, does it, it seems, you know, we got Tampa minus the eight. There's some, some, I guess, uncertainty about Prescott and his health, given that he didn't play very much in the preseason. It was taken off the board for a little while. Is there a, is there anything on that in that game that you guys have talked about? Or like, how do you think about that uncertainty around Prescott? Yeah, I mean, they're one of the unknowns, right, that make week one even more troublesome to an odds maker than uh, any of the later weeks or once we start to build up some some uh, better sample size. Um, yeah, I mean, 
we got to respect the decision of the Dallas Cowboys. And I think that fundamentally means that if Dak is ready to go and it looks like that's the way it's trending, that he'll be able to put his best foot forward. Do expect some rust from him. But, but overall, I think, you know, I think we came out at seven and a half on the, on the line. Uh, we're sitting at eight right now, I think, um, slightly juiced towards Dallas. We probably just favor that side, but not by a lot. Uh, but yeah, a very difficult one for both us and the betters as to, you know, how healthy we expect Dak Prescott to be. Sorry, I, I hate to bounce back and forth, but if we go back to that Giants game, what do you, Rufus, what do you, the two of you guys, as people that differ than the market, what do you think, why do you think you differ than the market so much? Um, for me, I don't know. For you, I it's mean, maths, I know. I'm but- not, right, it's math, and I'm not, to, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank, I'm not, I'm not super confident in my NFL Massey Peabody Friars. Um it's, I mean, it's hard when you have a team-based model that, t- that does not account for personnel except for a quarterback, you know, um, to hit on a lot of off-season changes. It's just the reality. John, do you have any thoughts on what why that is for you guys? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it just comes down to uh, our overall ratings with the the team-based stuff that, that, that uh, Rufus alludes to as well. I think, you know, we just can't get this anywhere near three at all. I think there's a mixture of um, viewpoints, at least from our side of quarterback, as to the difference between Teddy Bridgewater and and Drew Locke as it would have been or as it may have thought of been to be a couple of weeks ago. So for us, it just comes down to the numbers and, you know, even making slight adjustments for, you know, perceived improvement from Teddy Bridgewater. We just can't get it beyond one. What does it say to you if you look at Chris and Chris is already at plus three, minus 115? Does that make you more worried about your numbers or yeah for sure it's definitely something we'll consider um that's why we're at two and a half if we didn't we'd be at one um i'm just making sure that we are yeah we're at two and a half right now and slightly juiced towards denver just because we are off market this is a good area i think for us and, and one that i think as we build confidence and build out our odds making team here with some u.s talent and increase in confidence that I would like us to get even more aggressive on these ones where we feel like we have a strong opinion and not worry too much about being juiced towards Denver just because that's where the rest of the market is sitting, even bookmakers and operators that we respect, um, and actually be more aggressive to follow our opinion and get that to one and a half and stand it. We did that with the Super Bowl back in 2019, I believe, when it was the Patriots. Uh, we were the only ones at one and a half and most of the market was two and a half or three. And, and I think even for regular season games, that's something we're encouraging our guys to do and be more aggressive when they do have a valid opinion. What about um, this Patriots game? Um, minus three against the Dolphins. Obviously the Patriots, there's a lot of unknowns, specifically their quarterback situation. What do you think you would have made that line if Cam Newton was the starter? It's, it's minus three, looks like minus 120 on Chris. I don't know what you guys are hanging. Um, what would the difference have been with Cam Cam Newton there? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we made this two and a half right now. With Cam, it probably would have been more like three. Um, from all I can tell you is that we have laid one of the most respected accounts that we have not, not very long ago, actually, within the last couple of hours, uh, took New England minus three. So you'll see us uh, have moved our opinion there. And we've gone now minus 125, minus three. Expect that market to definitely not go underneath that field goal. In fact, I'd expect it to go maybe a half a point the other way. Interesting. I, I find that number kind of like interesting to me, just given the fact that 
it is going to be Mac Jones's first start. Um, I'm obviously England or New England is getting um, England. Haha, talking to the Irish guy. Um, New England had all those defensive players that opted out last year, which is, I feel like a bit, you know, so I think especially on defense, they'll, they'll be better than they were, but I still think, I mean, I just can't get that high on a rookie quarterback, especially not, I mean, one who is not a top, top pick um, in their first start. Yeah, I don't, we, we wouldn't disagree. I'm not completely sold. I'm obviously Gilmore is out as well. Um, a cornerback for New England, obviously a key part of it. But um, yeah, I, I don't disagree with Mac Jones. There's no way I could take minus three, but the account, probably the most respected better we have has taken that uh, at minus 105 earlier. So I, I do expect it to see it sit at least where it is and potentially even move more towards New England. So how, how interesting much this, one. How much did this better bet it for? The most, uh, how much? Yeah, I'm curious how much. I ac- I actually don't have that number, but probably in the realms of three grand, I would think. I, I I'm like shocked that that's the yeah. the number respected better can get down in an NFL game. Um, what uh, what other Rufus? Are there any other games that you want to specifically ask about? Let's. I mean, games that I like. I like. I mean, that I'm on. I'm on the. Giants, I'm on Detroit, Houston, and New Orleans. Those are ones I have bet. Right. Um, so those are ones I'm have an opinion that's different from the market for sure. Yeah, New Orleans is an interesting one because obviously the neutral field. Um, but also you have the situation where probably people are overvaluing what breeze was last year, you know, that, that tended to happen. I think when Taysom Hill came in and, you know, a lot of, like a lot of people, like there was a lot of debate, right. About, I think David Dow was very anti Taysom there. No, he was pro Taysom. I think, I think he thought that Taysom was a better quarter. He thought Taysom was better than breeze for that team. I don't think that's true. I think some other people did. All right. Well, we'll have to ask. Maybe we'll have David Al on next week, and we can ask him all about. Taysom. I remember this conversation. An but... entire podcast on Taysom. No, you're probably right. You've been you've been right about everything today. So um, I need that, to, I, we need to save that soundbite. Hmm. It, it was it was sarcasm. Well, um, we don't need what, to save that soundbite. <laughs> John, what are what are the actual uh, teams going into this year that um, you think will be underrated that you have your eye on maybe that you've seen stuff in the futures markets etc you know just that you think because ultimately the beginning of the season is a little bit of uncertainty as you said week one um, you always have those teams that are super buzzy like uh, I would say Buffalo at some level this year maybe Cleveland at Cleveland. some level this year, or Cleveland Cleveland. Last year I don't get it I don't get it with the Cleveland like that number the regular season win total keeps getting bet, getting bet up. And I feel like, the, you know, people like myself and Mark DeRosa, the futures God, are both anti-Cleveland. Like what, I, they had a negative point differential last year. I know their defense is going to be better and all that, but like 10 and a half wins is a lot. Yeah, I mean, 17 games in the season, Rufus. I didn't know if you know, if you knew that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. All my bets must be bad. No. Is this like when you add the problem in your Excel formula? And anyways, 
back in high school when I used to, uh, right. You still yeah. use Excel. You don't, you don't, you don't only use Excel, but you still use it. Don't you? I, I use it to display information. Yes. So you still use Excel. See, I was right on that and you were wrong. Uh, sorry, John, we asked you a question and just like two uh, bickering married people, we didn't let you answer it. Pretty standard at this stage, Jeff. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah, I think Buffalo's one for sure that we're pitched up against. I think we're 12 to one. They're by far and away our biggest liability. I think we have them for almost three, $3 million already and uh, people just won't stop betting them, but they're for sure one that's uh, we're pretty aggressive on, I think, versus the market. I think uh, Cleveland, another one so, as well. So quick question, John. When you have something like that, will that influence where you shade lines all season? Uh, no, absolutely not. I mean, pet peeve of mine is compression of prices based on exposure. And that's easy for me to say because our brand is big enough to cope with volatility. Um, but I've seen some horrendous prices on the likes of the Giants in New Jersey based on exposure that every book has. Um, you know, thinking back to 2018 or 19, we were, I think, 40 to one. And one of the operators in the marketplace was 16 to one based solely on presumably exposure. They hardly had that strong of an opinion on the giant. So again, I think it's just one of the differences. We were able to consume it because of the size of the overarching group. But um, it's easier for me to sit here and say that than it would be for a smaller, maybe casino manager or a trading director. Uh, in 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 their shoes, so I'm not giving it Billy Big Balls or anything. But from our perspective, we our traders week to week would would not even look at that. Interesting. So when you uh, say you said priced aggressively on Buffalo, do you mean you are? It's a attractive price to bet Buffalo or to fade Buffalo? Yeah, for us to fade them, we're looking to try and get as much volume at that sort of price as we can. Okay. So when um, you mentioned Cleveland also, is, is, are there any other teams that, that um, have been kind of overbet? Um, the local ones are always overbet here on the East Coast, particularly the Giants. Um, Even the always, Jets? Yeah, the Jets. We'll always have the Jets as a pretty significant seven-figure um, loser just because of the local bias towards it. The Eagles the same. Regardless of what we do, we tend to – under index on some of the West Coast teams, the Rams, for example, can never get a bet on the Raiders, regardless of uh, whether it's a future or, or, or a, a game uh, itself. Um, I think probably San Francisco, one that we're trying to kind of just stay on side a little bit with. We, you know, think that the injuries last year obviously decimated their chance, and you know, I'm pretty excited about Trey Lance as well, although we're not necessarily sure how early how early he'll get an opportunity. So I think we're about fourteen to one. The, the Niners. Why are you excited about Trey Lance, given the fact that we have so little data about him? Yeah, I just think I trust the likes of Kyle Shannon to make good decisions. And I think he's got a far higher ceiling than someone like Mac Jones, who probably is a good fit for New England. I think he's you know, probably going to do exactly what he says and probably deliver close to what his capabilities of his assessment for where he was drafted uh, will do. I think there's far more X quality to Trey Lance, who as you said, we hadn't seen in, in almost two years and, and, you know, pretty excited by some of what he was able to do even in preseason. So I think he's potentially, you know, really, really interesting. And, you know, if something was to happen, Garoppolo, we've seen his injury record, I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, let Trey Lance loose and then we really see what he's capable of. I think he's just a good punt for them in that spot, particularly given the quarterbacks that were on the board in the, in the draft. 
And to your point, I have Garoppolo as the highest uh, quarterback, in, the highest injury risk of any quarterback. I think I've met 9.7% chance of getting injured in a given game. Yeah. Um, Rufus, when you listen to him talk about these rookie quarterbacks, do you have any thoughts yourself on um, the sort of rookie quarterbacks and how you're modeling those guys? Like, I'm assuming that if Lance started in front of Garoppolo, that would immediately downgrade the Niners, right? Yeah, it, it would in mine. And I think it's a, it's, I, I don't know if I'm right with that. I think the NFL is certainly changing and it, younger quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks are on occasion performing at very high levels. And I don't think that has always been the case historically. However, um, they are still overall performing at worse levels than they will get to. And um, I think that there's a few that stand out in our minds, like, you know, Andrew Luck rookie year, RG three, Russell Wilson. Um, I guess Deshaun Watson. I don't know. Um, Essentially Mahomes, Herbert last year, Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, well, Mahomes only played one game in his rookie year. Right, but I mean his his second year when he his you know beginning first start his first starts. Um, no, I mean I so, so when so your friends. But what I'm saying. Good. No, sorry, I'm ready for you to translate what I said. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I was just saying that um, that the data like there hasn't been some seismic shift in the data like that I've seen, um, but clearly I do think that the NFL is different now than it was 15 years ago. And so, yeah, that that's essentially the, what your friend Cade was over at my house a couple of days ago. Oh, really? And we, we talked about this notion because I think one of the things that you've been clear on over the last few years is that you hate rookie quarterbacks generally in your model. Like, and you like crotchety red rifle arms like Andy Dalton um, and, and you, you've said like, this could be somewhat of a flaw in my model, but you've also been very clear to shit on these rookie quarterbacks or these young quarterbacks. And like, the reality is that this phenomenon of rookies playing is relatively recent. And it's also, um, there's, there it's, it's a small sample size. So I, I, I think it's, it'll be interesting with this many quarter rookie quarterbacks drafted this year with anticipation that, uh, that a few of them will play. Right. And we already have what Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones starting week one, right. We have Trey Lance and Justin Fields waiting Pro probably will both start this year. Um, is there anyone else that's going to start this year? Am I missing? I don't know, but I like if we go back like uh, last year's rookie quarterbacks, you had Herbert that played very well, Tua struggled, and Burrow, I would say played, you know. I mean, Burrow was playing pretty damn well when he got hurt. He was playing okay. I mean, he was playing, he 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 wasn't lighting the world on fire. Was, um, the year before that, Kyler Murray played pretty well. He had a pretty good year for sure. Um Drew Locke actually played okay too his rookie year. Um, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones. Um, I mean, 
just look at those records, those teams. I mean, not particularly good. And before that, like think of like Josh Rose and Sam Darnold. I mean, like there are clearly guys that there for every Lamar Jackson, there are Josh Rosens. Sure. I think we forget that. Like, and so not all these quarterbacks are going to be great. Like which one of them is going to be a Sam Rosen? I mean, uh, (laughs) Josh Rosen, Sam Rosen's the broadcaster, right? We'll just let you keep talking. Okay. John, I just think it's in addition to that, Rufus, and I know the league is changing, but these guys are also coming out of college far better prepared than they've ever been before as well. So I think you consider that as well. And, and also for me, with the likes of Trey Lance, I think it's pretty interesting that they were trying to shop Garoppolo all year. You know, the fact that they moved up to get him, take him number two overall. You know, I, I'm pretty high on his ceiling, but he could be a bust. Um, I just think that it was the right decision for a team that he comes into that were arguably the best team in football two years ago. And I'm giving them, we're giving them a bit of a pass based on all the injuries they suffered last year. Yeah, I agree. And I think the re- there's a reason he's not the starter right now. And I don't think he necessarily gives them the best chance to win right now. No, I, I we agree. And we, we would downgrade him as well. I just think, you know, the overall situation over time, probably turn out to be the right decision for the 49ers agree and you have to balance you have to balance the present and the future and i think the patriots i think would be a better more likely to win just like you said your numbers you'd have them higher with cam newton right now um as would i but that doesn't mean that that's the best case that's the best scenario for the patriots long term because guys do get better with experience you have to, yeah in the futures markets right now then do you guys like the Niners at 14 to one to win the Super Bowl. Um, I'm assuming that the favorites are no interest to you in terms of the Chiefs and the Bucks. Like what are what are, are is there any value, John, that you look at in the futures markets, not from a don't perspective, meaning like the Bills, but from a from a from a team that you think has value? Yeah, look, it's difficult. I, from from our perspective, yeah, I mean taking money on the Chiefs of 5-1 to one or the Bucks of plus 650 and the Bills even thrown into that is something we're willing to do all day long. I think 12-1, to one, the, the Packers, is pretty aggressive. We've got no issue laying large bets on any of the four of them. I think the next two in the market are probably two that we would be less likely to want to accept a larger bet. Uh, the Ravens and, and the Niners at 14-1. to one. I know one of the guys is pretty strong on the Rams. He's a pretty big Stafford fan, so... I temper that one a little bit. I think the Chargers have a lot of upside, um, but I think it's probably a year or two too early. Um, so they're one that we're keeping a close eye on. The Colts, obviously, with all the cap space they've had over the last few years, just very surprising what they've done at quarterback for me. And I think they need a little bit more talent in the skill positions as well, although they've got a pretty deep um, depth chart when it comes to running back this year. So I, I can see big seasons or potentially foundation-setting seasons for both the Chargers and the Colts too. Rufus, how about you in the futures markets? So I just pulled up the most recent simulation I ran on on unabated. Actually, You've got to have value in the Saints again, Rufus. Surely, have you? <laughs> of course. And you thought it was just because no. of Breeze? No, I actually am a big Jameis Winston supporter. That, that took the longest time for the easiest decision win. I've ever seen. I'm gonna when the Saints win the Super Bowl, I am going to chow down on crab legs, and it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah. Um, I. 
make the Saints 26 to 1, well, 26.2 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. I show value there. You guys have them at 30 to 1. Point, let's see. I'm looking. I have I have the unabated odd screen futures page here with my number, my simulation number with all, and all the other books. Looks like BetMGM has a 40 to 1 out there and that's and so does Cirque actually and points bet. Um, I like I actually at a few places like I show a little bit of value in the Seahawks. Um, if you can get 25 to 1, I make the Seahawks 22 to 1. Um, the Ravens, I make them plus 1240. So that you guys have 14 to 1 there. Circa is 15. Um, again, just like you'd expect, I don't have value on the, the teams at the top. I have Kansas City plus 640, Tampa plus 970. Um, and going further down, um, there, there's like team like the Cardinals, I make them 39 to one. You know, I think there's, they, they could be awful too, but um, Broncos, if you get like six, 60 to one, um, Falcons circa has 125 to one. Everybody else seems to be in the 60 to one range. Maybe that's a stale number or something. I don't know, but that seems uh, off. Um, I mean, oh, but the big team I like down there is the the Raiders, the team that nobody likes to bet on. I have, I'm looking at my futures portfolio here. Raiders to win exactly 14 games, 150 to one. Exactly 13 games, 100 to one. You know, 500 to win 50,000. Raiders 12 wins, 60 to one. 11, 30 to one. 10 wins, 16 to one. Nine wins, 10 to one. Like, basically, if the Raiders win double digit games, I'm going to be a very happy man. Good to know. Big Raiders fan. We could maybe go see a Raiders game in Las Vegas for your reawakening weekend. That'd be fantastic. Um, uh, John, are you going to come join us for Rufus's uh, Rufus's weekend in Vegas? Absolutely, yeah. September 24th to the 26th. It's right probably around the corner. It's probably – it's the week of the Ryder Cup, right? No. That's exciting, Rufus. Did you think about that? I didn't, but it's also a week. I mean, that means that I don't have to bet golf that week. John, who are you going to root for in the Ryder Cup? That's a pretty easy, a pretty, pretty easy one to price, Jeff. I think even just you Rory might that Rory? One. Rory and Rory. Only. I don't like. Not a big fan of Rory. I much prefer Shane Lowry. I, I prefer Shane Lowry this week. I bet on him. Really? Yeah, I feel like it's minus five hundred. Shane Lowry. No, it's probably minus a thousand. Shane Lowry those, would be those are, better to party with than Rory. Those are my guys this week. Sorry, Nor- Rufus. Who are they? Alex Noren at 20 to 1 and Lowry at I don't know what I got him at, like 18, 16, something like that to one. What I bet him at. But it's it's the BMW PGA Championship, which is a European tour event. And you had the regular BMW championship, which which was a PGA tour event two weeks ago. BMW sponsors everything, and it's weird. Presume you bet them with us, um, Rufus, did you? Um yeah, I mean, not a super large amount with you guys, because um, the wins because we wouldn't because we wouldn't take it. Well, the wins capped at two thousand, but I mean, that, but I can bet top forty, top thirty, top twenty, top ten, top five, top Swede, you know, all that stuff. So I mean, it ended up, I ended up getting, I think, betting twenty five or thirty thousand with you guys just a little bit at a time. Um, but how do you price? I'm curious before we go, how you price something like. How you approach something like the Ryder Cup, which I don't even bet because it's, I don't know, it's so different and it's, 
Yeah, I mean, we lean on our golf team and uh, they're based in Dublin. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say that they do a pretty decent job. They've got a lot of experience. Um, but yeah, in terms of pricing it, uh, I'm really not the person to be asking about how they price a Ryder Cup. I think a lot of it's probably based on the obvious stuff, records and form, stuff like that. I, I don't know that it's massively um, analytical approach, to be honest with you, though. I mean, the European players always putt great and the U.S. players always putt awful. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this on, on the card, it, there you wouldn't imagine there's any way the U.S. wouldn't win. I mean, I think they're all in the top 21 in the world and I think five of the top seven. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty difficult to see how Europe should be able to compete. But for whatever reason, Salt and Solheim Cup again last week where didn't really matter about capabilities. The team ethos seems to kind of shine through more in these these events. I was listening to the um, Gravy and the Sleaze on um, PJ Tour Radio earlier today, and they were talking, they had, I forget who's, I think it was Fowler's caddy on, and we're talking about um, why the U.S. has putted so poorly, and, and it was, I forget who gave, whose theory it was, but but that that they almost, the U.S. team almost tries to be too much of a team in terms of like, you know, reading putts together and stuff and doing things differently than they normally do. Whereas if they just went about and did their business and played normally, maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe they actually putt better because, you know, if you're used to reading putts yourself or with your caddy and you have someone that does it in a different way and putts at a different speed and all that stuff, you know, maybe you doubt yourself. There's yeah. a moral story that Europeans are selfish. No, they're just smart. Um, so, John, we 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 criti criticized you, or at least I criticized you for a little while. You took it all in good spirits. So, it sounds like you do actually listen to our podcast. We'll give you a chance to actually, before you go, critique us or criticize us. Is there is there anything we could be doing better for restricted betters? Uh, look, I from my perspective, I actually. Sorry, I, I, I was trying to make two different points in my mind. Um, not really. I think from our perspective, I just want to be fair. And, you know, I, I fully understand where you're coming from. And like I said, this isn't a pity party. We can for sure do things better. Um, I just hope that sometimes it shines through that that is the ethos of what FanDuel try and try and do. And yeah, Flutter is a big multinational, big, uh, big monster at this stage. And um, I do. I do think that we we are trying to do it the right the right way and and, and be as fair as we can be. Um, like I said, I don't always win those arguments or win those those discuss discussions as you mentioned, but um, for sure we try to be fair and and I think it'll get better over time. But like I said, it'll probably take more time than it should. I actually was just talking about you critiquing our podcast and whether I'm too mean to Rufus or not. <laughs> uh, I, I do try and listen. I haven't listened recently, um, but um, no, I think you're well aware of all of the other uh, issues. Um, I, I know Rufus continually gives out about you cutting him off, and I know it's an observation <laughs> other people have made before, so uh, I would just reiterate that one. That's Jeff. not a bug. That's a feature. It's, <laughs> it's a plan. It's a plan. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. It was really great to have you on, and, and appreciate what you're saying. I, I hope you appreciate the criticism coming from a, a place of uh, of love and wanting FanDuel to succeed mostly because Kip Levin's the man but 
Um, thanks for, for joining us. Really enjoying the pleasure. In a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded. 